Still from my Brooklyn, New York apartment, I'm Adam Teeter. From Jersey City, I'm Eric Caduce. And in my house in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And guys, we're going to, I'm excited about our topic today, which is uh, getting into sort of alcohol projects you can do uh, at home. I know I've been taking on a ton of projects myself, um, not just obviously alcohol related. I've been like baking some bread. I've been well, baking a lot, um, but also doing some projects around the house. But before we jump into um, all of that, what, are you, what have you guys been drinking? What's been getting you through for the last, uh, for the last week? Anything exciting? Erica? Yeah, uh, I have been tasting through a ton of rosés for the big list that we put out every year, our top 25 rosés. And um, I've been excited by some of the really affordable selections that I've found. You know, usually when I'm thinking about rosé, I'm thinking to, you know, the south of France. Um, But actually, there were some sneaker hits out of Italy for me. So um, I found the Planeta Rosé from Sicily. That's a $16 bottle, and it's, you know, on the bolder side of the rosé flavor spectrum. It's got strawberry, guava, crushed peach, like kind of a savory green olive thing going on, some salinity, super juicy and bright. Um, But for the price, I was totally surprised. And this would be the type of wine that I would pair with, like, barbecue chicken, tacos, you know, even pizza. It's got that kind of bolder flavor profile, which um, is going to be so wonderful with all of the summertime sort of backyard barbecue foods. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Italian rosés. I mean, that was a big thing last year. I mean, in, in our list last year, I think Planeta made the list. And so, and the number one was Gracchi, both from, from Sicily. Because I think, yeah, those wines are like surprisingly amazing, um, even though you normally think of France, right? Which is nuts. Totally. Well, and it makes sense in a way because, like, you're dealing with a similar climate, right? You're Mediterranean. Um, obviously, if you're Sicily, you're like in the middle of the Mediterranean. But we think of all the great French rosé that, uh, in particular, that comes from Provence and and the adjacent area, and that's all you know, very Mediterranean, um, you know, sort of influenced. And so, you know, I think it's I think it's definitely the case that you can find some great rosés from if you look at some other wine regions that kind of border the Mediterranean because they're they're going to have I think generally speaking a culture of of rosé drinking um that that goes back because those kinds of wines are you know sometimes the the red the red grape uh or what you want to do with red grapes in those kind of places is turn them into rosé totally so Zach what about you what are you drinking man well, as uh, as you might have noticed on uh, on Instagram yesterday, uh, as we're recording this on Friday, uh, I I took the opportunity and I have been taking the opportunity uh, to to go in and pull some bottles out of my uh, collection that I you know wasn't saving for uh, the most of special of occasions, but might have been a little loath to open under the um, under the general uh, mentality of fuck it, I might as well. And uh, <laughs> and as Erica might recall, I wrote a piece for the site, which now feels like it ran about a million years ago, but it was, I think, actually just last month <laughs> on the joys of aged Italian white wine. So I last yeah, night. Yeah, you've also drinking... talked about this on the podcast multiple times. This I is like have, your it's thing. true. This well, is you know, for good reason, it's one of my things, but for good reason. And, and I had a, a, the opportunity to have a. I love Italian white wine. Yeah, wines. I had the opportunity to have a 10 year old bottle of uh, Arnais. Um, which is one of my favorite varieties. And um, it just, you know, it, it's not the kind of thing that I would necessarily have every single night, but I made risotto and roasted a chicken and and it's a wine that both my wife and I love. And, you know, it, 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 I mean, look, the, the, there's a lot of horrible news and and everything going on in the world. And, and we're going to try to kind of steer away from that on this podcast. But it is, you know, for me, it's like every now and then um, it's important to kind of 
really do center my own and or our own joy and pleasure when we can. And, and wines like that are opportunities to do that. And so um, I was really glad that I, you know, it was like, okay, it's the last bottle of this I have. It's a kind of special wine, but we're going to open it. We're going to enjoy it. And uh, and then I guess we're going to talk about it on the podcast the next day, as it turns out. So uh, that is what I've been drinking. Adam, how about you? So, you know, I've, I've had like a, you know, I'm, I'm going through the, the eight stages of, I don't know, morning drinking, et cetera. So, um, I have been drinking a lot of rosé for the tasting, but I don't, I won't talk about any of those here. Cause I think Eric already hit on that. Um, but you know, like last week when we were first, like this is happening, I drank a lot of Brown spirits. Um, so I, I found a few bourbons that I really enjoyed. Um, I was drinking uh, a Jefferson's bottling that was really delicious. I was drinking some Lagavulin. So, you know, scotch that I really liked. Um, I had someone to gift to me a bottle of whistle pig. So I enjoyed a little bit of that last week. Um, and also like dirty martinis for my wife. And then, um, I don't take them dirty, but I was drinking, uh, just a classic gin martini, uh, a little dry with a lemon twist. And so I was really drinking liquor last week. And then this week I definitely transitioned back to like beer and wine. Um, so I had a few pretty delicious uh, IPAs that I enjoyed earlier in the week. Um, I'm also trying to go back to my normal schedule of not drinking uh, three to four nights a week. So um, I guess so if I, I didn't drink Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So Wednesday night I had a, a really nice uh, like New England style IPA from Monday Night Brewing that was pretty cool. Um, and then – Last night, I did enjoy one of the rosés from the roundup. That I was like, wow, this is just amazing. And we featured it um, a bunch before um, Kathleen Inman's wine, so Endless Crush. Um, oh, yeah. Is just a beautiful wine. Yeah, and, that's um, great. You know, and so she, you know, it, it was submitted again for the tasting this year. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to dump this. So um, so I drank it. And I have to say, uh, Eric, I've been – I was super – I've always – I've been impressed for the past few years, actually, that – um, there, there's some really stellar rosés coming out of other countries, a lot out of California or just the West coast in general. Um, and you know, a lot of bad ones coming out of Provence. Um, you know, a lot yeah. of ones that are, that are really trading on that, that regional name, uh, that are getting away with like a, a true lack of balance or just like really harsh off flavors, um, fruit that doesn't taste super high quality. Um, but you know, are still being able to sell for over twenty bucks because they they put Provence on the label. So totally. I thought that was interesting. There was another one that I really liked a lot um, that surprised me, um, called Sea Glass. Um, that was like I think it's like ten ninety nine, and uh, I remember. So I've been I've been tasting with my with my wife Nami, which has been fun because you know she loves wine but never gets to to come to our our office tastings when we have people in. And like she turned to me, she's like, "What is this wine? This is really good." And it had come after in a string of like not a lot of very good wines mm-hmm. um and i was like yeah this is really good and so then like we you know looked at it and went holy shit uh and then looked at the price and we're, we're blown away so yeah I, I think it's been fun and then i don't know this weekend tonight's pizza night so i'm gonna make some some delicious pizza and, and pop something good who knows um and then maybe get back on my spirits wagon i don't know yeah <laughs> i mean i've been going the same way too i think i'm i'm sort of alternating at this point so i'll do one wine one night or a cider and then i'll switch over and have a cocktail but uh but yeah i mean i think the things we're going to talk about today with the cocktail projects that's actually gotten me pretty excited to start back in my cocktail experimentation land i definitely went through a phase of that a couple years ago but i'm i'm right back on the train now well, I mean, you, I mean, that's sort of, it's, I mean, I know you're a wine lover, but I mean, you 
when I when I was first introduced to you was through the fact that you had written this cocktail book and really have this expertise in cocktails. Like the th- the things you tell me you're trying to do at home, like recreate a classic martini from a I, I would never do. Like I, I can make a really good Negroni, I can make a really good straight up martini. But like, if you ask me to recreate some of my favorite cocktails from some of my favorite cocktail bars in New York, I'd be like, nah, I'm just gonna wait till they reopen. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I definitely went through a phase like years ago where uh, I was just making bitters all the time, making bitters from like Buddha's hand and like all sorts of crazy citruses and so forth. So, I mean, that's I think that's one of the nice things right now is that if we have a little bit of extra time where we're looking for something creative to do, hey, start on those holiday gift projects now. You got you got nothing else to do. You might as well get creative. So, I mean, yeah. So I guess jumping straight into the topic, like um, Zach, what what sort of projects do you have in mind that people could be doing right now? Or what are you working on or wish you were working on? Well, I would say that I'll let uh, Erica talk about things like bitters because that's something that I don't have a lot of experience with perfect uh, personally. But what I would say, uh, and I think this is the the operative thing here is most of, for the most part, um, I think most in, of us in our daily lives, um, we don't have time. And, and really it's not even just that we don't have time because a lot of these things don't take a lot of active time. It's just, we don't really want to put in, you know, commit to a couple of week long project, even if most of that time is spent spinning, uh, is spent sitting in a closet or something. And, um, what I have started doing, uh, at home because I, again, anticipate having some time to commit to this is, is working on some infusions. So um, that's something that I started doing as a bartender years ago um, is, you know, basically uh, it's a simple way to kind of add flavor to a spirit. Um, I'm mostly working with uh, clear spirits at the moment because um, while you can do certainly do cool things with um, brown spirits, um, I find that, you know, if I kind of want to just get a simple flavor, like a fruit flavor, like I've got some blueberry um, gin going on right now, the idea there is basically to, you know, to extract the flavor from the blueberries into the gin. And, and I imagine that in a couple of weeks, which is about how long these things tend to take, um, that uh, the weather in Seattle may have turned to the point where sitting outside and having a, a drink made with a blueberry gin is going to sound really, really delightful, as opposed to as it sounds now, which is pretty miserable because it's pouring rain, um, is, uh, is is kind of what I'm aiming at. And then, you know, one I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I've done, and I think is a, another thing to, to think about doing, especially for people who are home more, maybe open opening wine more often but but aren't necessarily drinking as drinking a lot is uh vermouth which is a little tricky to make um in that you know you kind of have to find the right balance in ingredients and sweetness but um i've had some some success with making my own vermouth and and i find it actually to be more useful as something to kind of sip a way to kind of preserve that wine if you're not interested in cooking with it um or making vinegar which you can also do i like to uh, make vermouth and then it's just something that i'll pour over ice maybe add a little bit of soda water to and it's my like afternoon maybe while i'm cooking beverage because uh, it's lower in alcohol and it, it retains some of the wine flavor but but is you know has a kind of uh you know sort of spice notes that you expect from from vermouth so Zach, quickly, because you know you're talking about these things. I'm loving it. I'm getting into it. But now I'm like, how do I do it? So first of all, with your blueberry gin, can you please explain the process and also tell me like what kind of drinks you would put it in, and then could you please do the same for the vermouth? Yeah, absolutely. So I would Thank say you. with the blueberry gin, it's basically you know the only things you really need are um, gin for one, <laughs> and I and I like to look at something that's you know not. Uh, I'm not going for top shelf gin. Um, I'm looking at something that's probably like a London dry because I want something with a relatively neutral um, palette. So I'm using Gordon's because it's kind of a, a relatively inexpensive. It's a very, yeah, it's a good, to, that's a good one. 
it's not it's, yeah it's, i find the flavor unobjectionable and it but it's not that expensive so i'm not you know i'm not putting it in my my really premium gin um and then you basically just need um a jar or or other vessel that you can close it doesn't have to be airtight you mean you don't have to worry because of the alcohol of the gin it's not like it's anything's going to go bad in terms of like the fruit rotting but you just don't want it spilling and you do want to be able to kind of um capture the flavor and then basically what i do is i i have like um essentially it's a like what you would put like you know punch in or something that's like a it's got a spigot and so i just put that um you know i put the uh the gin in and i usually do um you know like two liters at a time um and then uh, it ends up being about, oh gosh, I should probably measure these things, right? Uh, it probably ends up being about, you know, two pounds or so of blueberries. Um, and and I throw maybe a bay leaf or two in also because I like a little bit of that additional herbal flavor. And I just let it sit. And and really, like, you let it sit for, I let it sit for about 10 days, and then I start tasting it. And really what you're tasting for is you want there to be a noticeable blueberry flavor. Um, but you, what I don't want is I don't want it to start tasting um like if you've ever had dried blueberries or like kind of really concentrated candied blueberry flavor, uh, then I feel like you've extracted a little too much. So mm-hmm. at that point, then you just just literally strain the gin off. Um, you throw the blueberries away. I made the mistake once when I was very young in the restaurant industry of eating them, and they are miserable. It just tastes like alcohol. Um, uh, <laughs> but basically, yeah, you just dump that out. Um, I think you could theoretically do something with the blueberries. Like maybe you could cook them down, but there's really very little flavor left in them. Put them in that's pancakes not pancakes and give them to your kid. <laughs> God, yeah. If you wanted to take Easy three time. naps a day, like, that would yo, be great. I need to get some work done. I made you blueberry yeah. pancakes. Enjoy. I would worry okay. that the pan might. I would. Might, I would worry that the pan might catch on fire with all the alcohol in there. <laughs> um, and then, as far as cocktails, so one of the things that I like to use it in is um, I, one of my. It's it's one of my kind of favorite spring cocktails is the aviation, which is um, typically made with uh, creme de violette, uh, so gin, creme de violette, lemon, and maraschino liqueur. And what I do is I basically just um, cut down a little bit on the creme de violette and maraschino because with the fruit flavor in there, even though the the gin isn't sweet, I feel like it can kind of get, the whole drink can get a little syrupy if you're not careful. Um, but I but I basically just do that. Um, you get this even deeper blueberry kind of blue color um, than you would get normally from the creme de violette. Um, that's one thing. Um, I like it. I mean, you can make just like a simple gin flip. So basically, again, just kind of gin, lemon juice, and, and an egg white if you want. That can be really nice. A little bit of uh, you can add a little simple syrup or sugar if you want to kind of uh, sweeten it up. Um, but really, I mean, I think it's pretty versatile. And also, just like as a gin and tonic, frankly, like if you just want to pour that over some ice with some tonic water, it's fucking delicious. And it's got a nice little kind of you know pale blue color uh, or pale purple color, really. And uh, and it's great when and if the weather improves, which it will eventually here in Seattle, I promise. Yeah, that sounds great. So we'll, we'll we'll come back to you on the vermouth tip, but uh, but Erica, what about you? We'll, give me give me a project. Yeah, super simple project. So uh, yesterday uh, we launched this article, which is about five simple projects that you can do at home to up your cocktail game. Uh, and the thing that I made was oleosaccharum, which uh, do you guys do you guys know about this? It sounds like a crazy Latin thing. But it's actually a super simple citrus syrup. So uh, it's been used since like the 1700s. If you if you read David Wondrich, you know, in, in either of his books, uh, you'll you'll see him refer to it as really the essential ingredient in punches uh, in classic times. And that is because the it's it's just simple syrup of uh, you take um, the peels from citrus. Usually, you could use lemon or orange or grapefruit, and uh, you just 
steep it and mix it with some sugar. And then the sugar pulls out all of those wonderful essential oils to create this like beautiful syrup that, uh, you know, in, in Wondrich's telling, um, you know, is creates the difference between like a, a good punch and a great punch. So um, it has a lot of uses other than uh, a punch, though, my favorite way to use it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be posting this all up on Instagram because it's really one of the best cocktails is uh, an old fashioned. So just a rum old fashioned with an aged rum like El Dorado 12 year, which is my favorite on its own. It's such an incredible rum. Uh, but then I just do one teaspoon of the oleosaccharum syrup and uh, bitters over, you know, big ice cube. It's like such a beautiful cocktail. Um, and really the only thing, like I said, to make this, uh, to make the um, oleosaccharum is that you steep the uh, orange or citrus peels in sugar overnight. You mix it occasionally. And then in the morning, you know, anywhere from three to 12 hours later, you, you can decide based on the taste, you know, you've got a um, ready to go syrup. And so, uh, you know, if you, from a quantity perspective, just get, you know, peel a cup or so uh, worth of the peels. And then um, you just add about half a cup of sugar and it creates about, you know, a little bit more than a third of cup of syrup. So um, that can be kept in the refrigerator for a week and used in a variety of ways. You can use it in a French 75. You can use it in a whiskey sour. Um, you can cr use it in a sidecar. I mean, there's so many different applications for it. And it's just such a wonderful lifted citrus flavor that you can't really get any other way. Dude, that sounds delicious. Like It's pretty delicious. good. I also kind of want to just, again, I want to take, you know, Zach's blueberries. I want to make some pancakes from those blueberries and then put your syrup on top of it. That sounds pretty good. I mean, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Adam, are we recording this like before you have lunch or something? Because I, <laughs> no, like, I, I feel like I all you want to do is eat our drinks projects. No, man, I had lunch. I uh, I actually had lunch with bread I baked myself. So, um, <laughs> but, but yeah. So uh, for me, one of the one of the things that that's fun to to make is um like bathtub gin. So like, yes, I know it's not real gin, um, but basically you take a vodka. Right. And you, I like to, again, same with you, um, you know, Zach, not an amazing vodka, but a quality vodka. Right. So like, we're not, we're not going out here and, and, and putting kettle in this, but, uh, I'll usually do it with like something like, honestly, uh, it works really well with like Smirnoff or, um, Tito's or something. So take a 750 milliliter bottle, dump it in a, um, you know, mason jar, so large enough mason jar or some sort of vessel. And then it's the same kind of idea, right? You basically flavor it with gin flavorings. So as opposed to distilling those gin flavorings into the gin, you're just steeping them into the vodka, right? So I use like cucumber peel, um, lemon peel, dill. You have to use, I think you have to use juniper berries. Some people disagree, but I kind of feel like it's not gin without the juniper berries. So some dried juniper berries, um, you get those at a lot of grocery stores. Um, so you should have a problem even in, in the quarantine. Um, but you could throw in a lot of other stuff too, right? You could do different kinds of teas. You could do orange, any other kind of citrus peels. I think, I think grapefruit would be awesome. Um, you could also do like heat if you like it, some, some sort of spicy, you know, note to it. And then you let it sit for basically same idea, 10 days to 14 days, um, stirring it, I think every other day just to make sure it's still doing its thing. And then you start tasting. And once it's, it tastes good to you, you strain out off the liquid. Uh, I like to bottle it and then you have your own kind of gin. And then I use it in a lot of different cocktails, right? I use it to make, um, you know, straight up martinis. I use it to make Negronis. Um, 
I use it to make, uh, you know, gin gimlets, like all these kind of things you would normally use regular gin for, but now you have your own gin. Um, and it's also fun to then give to people, right? It's like, Hey, here's this like gin I made. Um, it's always like a, a good time, which is, which is a lot of fun. We've talked a lot about, um, you know, spirit style projects, but um, I mean, I know Zach, we're going to get to your vermouth, but have, have either of you ever brewed beer? No, I have not. Oh, I know you have. oh yes. The best. I mean, I've had a lot of explosions too. Um, really? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the bit, the worst explosion was um, Josh and I, you know, the, the other co-founder of Vine Pair, we attempted to brew like a Belgian triple. That was a really bad idea. Um, and it started re-fermenting in the bottle because it was just, it's so much sugar and so much yeast in a Belgian triple. And um, they exploded all in his closet. There was beer oh, everywhere. No. Like, um, so that was when uh, Naomi told me that we were never allowed to brew beer in our apartment, only in Josh's. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but like it, it is, I mean, brewing beer is super fun because I think it's one of the easiest ways to sort of see how alcohol happens, if that makes sense, right? Like you, yeah. you, you know, and it's, it's not that I think people get really freaked out about it because like, oh, I read that I, like the kitchen has to be super clean. Everything has to be super clean. Like, yes, cleanliness is important, but I mean, you have to be clean when you cook too, right? Like no one's sitting around being like, oh, I'm going to like make some cookies and there's like dirt everywhere. So as long as like the counter is clean and, and you've like washed the equipment with with hot water and soap the way you should wash your hands right now um you know everything is fine and then it's it's a fun project that takes you know four weeks so at the end of this whole bullshit you know you should you should emerge with a really good beer that then you can take out in the park and drink um and there's lots of amazing recipes online and you can buy kits um which i'm sure are still shipping right now um to make beer and it's it's, it's a really fun project i i love doing it. we did it for like two years and then just sort of moved to places where we felt like it wasn't as we didn't have as much space. Um, Josh was really lucky in that one of his first apartments in New York was a big loft. Um, so we were able to sort of brew. But, you know, I, I bet your husband's studio would be a perfect place to brew beer. Just I saying, I bet Erica. he does. <laughs> we got plenty of space up in his studio. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got, you've got probably you – could, you could start a whole – you know, your whole brewery, let alone uh, just homebrew. Uh, I, I have a question for you, Adam, about brewing, though, at home, which is are there are there styles of beer that are easier for people who have never done it to kind of take on? Obviously, it sounds like a Belgian triple is a bad idea for a first beer, but is there kind of an ideal first beer? Ales are the easiest. Um, it's very hard to do um, lagers because of the cold fermentations. So um, lagers are, are much more difficult um, than ales. Um, and then pale ales and IPAs are actually very easy to brew at home. Um, as long as you have the right ingredients, which again, you can buy all online. Um, they're pretty simple to brew at home. Um, and I, I have to say like we, we definitely brewed a bunch of different batches of IPAs and, um, pale ales that came out really well. We actually have a, um, a homebrew columnist on Vine Pair that writes, uh, I think monthly or biweekly, uh, with yep. different ways to brew. Um, so there, there's a bunch of resources there, but then also, I mean, you can go down like rabbit holes and Reddit and stuff like that of people who've like literally recreated beers. So like you can, you can brew heady topper yourself at home or you can, someone's like, Oh, I think I figured out, uh, the Pliny recipe. Right. And you can blue brew Pliny, which is crazy. So there's a lot of fun you can have. Um, and then the kits are easy to at least get you started. Right. So the recipes there, it's like literally dump into water. <laughs> boil strain you have this style of beer that we've already perfected the recipe of but it's it's uh, just a cool way again to see like how fermentation works 
Totally. And if you're looking for the column on our site, it's B-I-Y, brew it yourself. It's with national homebrew competition gold medal winner and certified Cicerone, Mandy Naglich. So that's that's where you can check out dozens of articles to uh, get a sense of best practices and uh, projects you might want to try out yourself. Exactly. So now, now, Zach, back to you. How do you make vermouth? So I think the simplest way to do it, and I've mostly done it with uh, red wine because I find that it's a little more. I, I haven't. I've only tackled uh, making a like a white vermouth once, and and I think I screwed up. So I don't think it's that it's not doable. I think I just didn't kind of approach it the right way. But I will say that b- before we get into the the specifics, one thing about making uh, I found about making vermouth at home is that um, at least so far I haven't been able to kind of get the exact texture that you might expect from certain kinds of vermouth like if you like a really kind of rich vermouth like carpano antica or something like that you're you're without adding a lot of um essentially really really reduced uh sugar syrup you're gonna you have a hard time getting that real richness um and i don't know that i can uh, offer you a suggestion for how to get that at home i'm not an expert um but but otherwise i mean basically what i've done is i'll take a certain amount of uh leftover red wine um in this case usually like you know yeah, about two, two liters or so. So like two and a half bottles, three bottles, something like that. And you take about a third of it and you reduce it, um, over, you know, over really low heat. You're just trying to kind of cook it down a little bit. Um, and then I would say once it's about reduced in in volume by about half, um, you add, it's about a cup of sugar. Um, and then you kind of, there's your base syrup. And so at that point, all that's all had all the alcohol cooked out of it. So you're not dealing with booze from that. And then basically you let it cool back down to kind of room temp. You add it to, um, the remaining wine along with, um, some, I mean, again, you kind of want to use spices. I like to use, um, like there's certainly black pepper, again, bay leaf I throw in there. I like to use things like uh, coriander and cardamom um, and a little bit of uh, even cumin seed. Um, and you basically are, again, doing an infusion of that along with um, a little bit of, you want to add some sort of uh, spirit because you want to bring the alcohol level up a little bit. So um, I sometimes will use cognac. Um, it definitely adds more flavor. Um, if you have like, uh, you can use vodka, uh, if you've got that, that you want to use, if you have, I mean, ideally, I think you would add a little bit of like even higher proof spirit, but I don't have moonshine lying around. Um, so <laughs> what? not an option for me. I know. Right. Well, I might, we haven't talked about home distilling, which is a bad idea. Um, <laughs> And uh, and also illegal most places. I don't uh, want to do it though. But anyways, keep going. <laughs> well, we'll see you at Jono's studio too. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, so then and then basically again, it's just a, a process of waiting. It doesn't take nearly as long. I find that um, you know within a week, I'm kind of at the place I want to be flavor wise. Um, but you can you can kind of taste uh, you know give it a few days and then taste every day. Um, and then at that point, you just again strain everything off. Um, I put it right in the fridge. I find that it lasts for about a month um, in a pretty good state. And like I said, you know, the, my favorite use for it is frankly just kind of drinking it over ice with a little soda water or tonic um, because it's it's kind of the best way to sort of enjoy that flavor. And um, but it, it works in cocktails. I find that it, it actually interestingly like does better in cocktails where you might use. Um, a fair bit of vermouth so it works well in like a negroni i haven't loved it in my manhattans and maybe that's just me again i think it's a texture thing i think it feels like it waters them down a touch because it doesn't have the viscosity that um like a commercially produced vermouth might have um so so in a negroni i don't mind it as much in part because campari already has a lot of you know kind of richness and body so so it being a little lighter in flavor isn't such a big deal Uh, or not lighter in flavor but lighter in uh body but but in a in a uh, you know in something like a manhattan 
hat and I, I do find that I miss it a little bit. Um, I miss that body that you get from vermouth a little bit. Um, but, but it's, you know, you can find it, you know, you can put it in a lot of different things, but like I said, I just like it as a, as a thing to sip over ice, um, and, uh, with a little bit of soda water or just as is, um, which is one of my favorite ways to enjoy vermouth period. So, so it's not like I'm only doing that with this. Um, but yeah, it's, and again, you know, if you've got open bottles, the nice thing about it is you can just kind of combine stuff together. I don't, I haven't found any issue with mixing, you know, as long, I mean, maybe if you're mixing, um, you know, Beaujolais and Zinfandel, you might find it a little weird, but but frankly, even then, I don't think so. It all kind of comes together in the end. Um, you might find slightly better results or, or more sort of homogenous results if you use the same wine, but I don't think any of us are at that stage. So so your your leftover bottles, um, and I've used it with wine that's been open for a week and it's fine. Um, wow. You know, you're not you're not looking for because you're not really looking for. I mean, you're not looking for freshness and 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 brightness in your vermouth for the most part. At least I'm not um, in the way that I would be in my wine. So you know. I wouldn't use a, you know, I wouldn't use a three week old bottle. You know, another thing you could do is go buy a, a relatively inexpensive box of wine, um, you know, a three liter and use that and and probably end up with a very cost effective vermouth solution. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. I'd try it. I dig. Well, I would share it with you guys, but, uh, but that's probably not going to happen for a little while. I think these have been uh, like some really good ideas. I mean, Erica, do you got anything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I do have one more. I mean, I would say yes. that, you know, a lot of people don't realize that bitters is just a pretty simple infusion. So uh, for that, you I know, did. you can, every, everyone's talking about Everclear and how you can make your own <laughs> Hannah sanitizer from it. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, you can also use Everclear as the base for uh, your bitters. So um, really all you do to make bitters is um, you, you can take some like zest of lemons or oranges or whatever you want that sort of main flavor base to be. And you add cardamom, cloves, cinnamon, you know, lemongrass, coriander, pepper, um, and then kind of the bittering agents that you want to have in all bitters, which are chincona bark and gentian root. You know, you can get those at natural stores or even at some bigger uh, grocery chains. So for those things, you just, you really just, you know, prepare the ingredients, divide them out into some mason jars and fill it up with uh, the grain alcohol. And uh, for that, you just let it sit there and kind of agitate it maybe once or twice a week for a month uh, and then uh, portion it out into tiny little dropper bottles. And that's one of my favorite holiday gifts that I typically make for people. Uh, I like to package that up with a cocktail book or something like that. And um, and it's it's a fun way to go. But may, maybe in this case, it's going to be a post-apocalypse uh drinking gift that you can give to all your friends once you finally see them this summer. I dig. I dig. Um, cool. So I guess, uh, you know, go home. Well, stay home. Make one of these projects. And if you do, shoot us an email at podcast at com and let us know that you made one of the things we suggested. Take a picture and share it with us. That would be awesome. Um, agreed? Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you have other projects too. I would love to hear if people are trying other stuff out there um, that's not stuff we covered too, because I need some new projects. Yeah, definitely. I've tried the sourdough. Got to move on. Got to keep going. (laughs) Well, as always, everyone, thank you so much for listening. We hope you're also checking out our podcast conversations, our Corona diaries, if you will, uh, that we're running in the feed uh, three times a week. Uh, We'd love to know how you think about what you think about those as well. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, if you feel like you're getting a lot of amazing information and we're helping make your day a little bit better, please drop us a review or rating in iTunes, um, Stitcher, or wherever else you get 
our podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. And Erica, Zach, I'll talk to you again right here next week. Sounds great. You then. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.